All right. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here today. We are continuing our study in the book of Colossians. If you want to turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 8 through 15. Now, when you read through this, you're going to be like, man, Jamie planned this out. The word baptism is in there, and today we're doing baptism. But it's funny, like, God has a way of working things out. Like, I plan, I don't know if you guys know this, I plan the messages. We pray as an elder team, and uh, we reach out to uh, our small group leaders, talk about where our church is at, what people need in the month of December. And then we plan out the whole year, and so we know kind of where we're going. We can always make adjustments to that, but we plan a year in advance, and today we're baptizing, and the text talks about baptism. So God's incredibly faithful like that, and we're super thankful. Uh, Real quick before we dive into the text, last Sunday we announced that we had a large gift, uh, $15,000, that was pledged towards our building campaign with uh, an additional 5000 that they would give if we could raise 5000 And I just want to announce today that this week we had a gift for $5,000 come in. So it's amazing. And so we're super thankful for that, and uh, God is working through that. So in the book of Colossians so far, um, in the book uh, in chapter 1, Paul has been writing to this church in Colossae that has been planted by a guy named Epaphras and another guy named Philemon. And he's writing to encourage them and encourage the believers of a church that he has never been to. And the reason why he's writing them is Epaphras and Philemon had gone to visit him in distress, in prison, while he was under house arrest because the church was under duress and under attack. And there were two philosophical belief systems that were being thrown at the church in Colossae. That's the Gnostic false gospel and the religious Jewish aestheticism that was going up against the church, that faith was found in doing good things or um, in the Gnostic gospel that you could really do whatever you wanted because God was not involved or interested in us. And so Paul writes to correct this. This is a church that needs encouragement because they're struggling. And he writes to set the record straight and to encourage them and remind them of who Jesus is. Last week we talked about how there's a bunch of prepositional phrases throughout this book. In Him, through Him, by Him. He's reminding them and reminding us that our firm foundation is found in Christ alone. And so today we're going to look at this idea of victory, that the victory needed for the life you long for is only found in Christ. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times where I need encouragement. Anybody else, you need encouragement? You need a word of encouragement? Good. Those who didn't raise your hand, you probably will this week, right? We are all in need of encouragement because at times, life can feel like it's the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes, and no one on, and you're down by two runs. That's what life can feel like. If you're not a sports fan, I'm not really a baseball fan. I just wrote that this week, and I was like, oh, that works, right? It feels like that sometimes. Sometimes. 
Maybe it feels like this if you're a student. Your assignment is due at midnight, and it's 11.50, and you have nothing, right? Life can feel like that, right, Josiah? Right? It can feel like that sometimes. It can also feel like sometimes that unexpected bill has come in, and there's zero in the bank account, and you feel like you need to pay it today. Life can feel like this. The church at Colossae understands this because just like we talked about last week, there's political unrest in this region because Rome is in charge and it is led by a guy named Nero. Philosophically, it is under duress because there are these two false gospels that are coming up against the church. And then physically, they are under duress because one commentary I read said that there had been an earthquake. It's the first one in 50 years in Colossae, and it had led to most of the major buildings collapsing. This is a group of people in need of encouragement. Sometimes life can feel like this. And if we're all honest, we have a longing for victory in our lives, right? If you're a football fan and you're a fan of the Washington Commanders, right, you have a longing for victory. If you're a Steelers fan, you have a longing for victory. I'm a Bears fan. We have a longing for just a win. (laughs) Just one. Can we just get one? The reality is, is we have a longing for victory. It's around the big things related to our families. It's around our church. Sometimes it's around small things. Whether it's small things or big things, there's an ache in every human heart to experience victory. Every single one of us is faced with the choice of the voices we will listen to that will help us and direct us towards where we will put our trust for victory. And if we're honest, some of us, that discouragement that we're experiencing is because of the voice that we're listening to that is saying, this is where your victory is found. And Paul, in our passage today, shows us, he gives us a vision for victory. I don't know if you know this, but there are politicians that have a vision for victory. There are family members that have a vision for victory. You have your own vision of victory for your life. But Jesus Christ has the only vision of victory that is true and lasting. And so Paul shows us this this morning. Paul is going to give us a vision of victory in our passage today. Let's look at Colossians 2, 8 through 15. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Man, this is huge. In other words, there are a group of people, there are spiritual forces that are trying to give you a vision of victory, and he says, see to it. This is not a passive endeavor, Mosaic. There's an active endeavor in which we must engage in to see to it that no one turns us away from the victory found in Christ. 
He says this, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Anybody thankful that God has forgiven you of all of your trespasses? That's not a moment to raise your hand. That's a moment to clap your hands. That He has forgiven you of all of your trespasses. Man, this next phrase, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Man, we could spend months in this text. But we're going to spend about 25 minutes. You're like, you lie. You're going to spend longer than that. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand this. Jesus, we love you. It is by your Spirit, through your Word, through your sacrifice, through your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection, that you have canceled our debt forgiven us of all of our trespasses and put to open shame the rulers and authorities because you have triumphed over them. Victory is found in you. We ask that by your Spirit you would help us to see this today. Help us to see this represented in these waters of baptism being stirred today. We ask you for this in Jesus' good name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Today we're going to get right after it because I was told my introduction was too long last week. So we're just going to dive right in today, okay? So our big idea for today is this. The victory needed for the life you long for is only found in Christ. Today's passage is both a warning and an invitation. There's your two points. We have two points today. We have a warning and we have an invitation. At the very outset, in verse number 8, Paul gives us a warning of captivity. He gives us a warning of captivity. The life with no victory. There is a life that is not represented by victory, but it's experienced in captivity. He tells us what this is. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or an empty deceit. 
He is reiterating that argument that he's been giving towards the Gnostic gospel that says that God is not involved in our lives. And because he is not involved in our lives and because he is not the creator of the universe, we can therefore do whatever we want. We can live however we wish. We can engage in religious practices, but the only purpose of doing that is to make you feel better about yourself. This false gospel is still alive today. But then on the flip side, the Colossians are also being confronted by the philosophies of the religious legalists that are seeking to add to the faith and find its justification in doing more and trying harder. And I want you to know that this life of defeat is also fully alive today. That simply says this to us as followers of Jesus, it brings about guilt and shame over our lives for not doing things. When the scriptures are very clear that he has rid us of all of our shame and our guilt, not based upon the works that we've done, but based upon his perfect work on the cross. And this is a life of freedom and victory. So Paul takes a moment before he goes through the practical nature of the rest of this book to remind them that these two lies lead to captivity. They are asking the question that we often have, which is how do I hold fast when false visions of victory are coming at me? How do I hold fast when false visions of victory are coming at me? You see, those were the two false visions that they were experiencing, but you know, we experience some false visions of victory as well. Just like the Colossians, we are too faced with the reality of holding fast into Jesus and finding victory in Him. I want you to listen to this quote by a guy named Peter Enns. Peter Enns is not a follower of Jesus, but he gives a vision of victory that some of us are tempted to believe in. He says this, For any one group today to think that it has the best grasp on the creator of the universe is a form of insanity. So the question is, is having confidence that you know the creator insane? You see, whether it's in a institution of higher learning like college or whether you turn on the news, this message and a vision of victory is being presented to us. That believing in God is insanity. That you're God. That you should believe in yourself. And if you'll just believe in yourself and live the life that you desire, that you will experience victory. But what's interesting is in the book of Colossians, Paul has already corrected this when he said in Colossians 1, 15-17, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So my question to you this morning is, does Peter Enns know something that Paul doesn't know? Absolutely not. How about this quote? 
from the famous atheist Richard Dawkins. He says this, Faith is the great cop-out. The great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of the lack of evidence. So the question is this, is faith a cop-out to the world's greatest pain? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The question then is this, does Richard Dawkins know something that the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does not? Absolutely not. You see, Jesus with certainty speaks to this. In John chapter 16, verse 3, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, all of these voices... They want you to hear, this is a vision for victory. And Paul is reminding the church at Colossae, that is anything but victory, it's captivity. It's captivity. It's captivity to your own thoughts, your own desires. All of these voices and many more are trying to give you an alternative path for victory, but the path is filled with empty deceit, he says. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He takes this up a whole nother level. He says, there are forces that are trying to hold you captive that isn't just within you, but are outside of you and are spiritual in nature. That the victory of your life being hidden in Christ is so important that the enemy would bring everything against you, both philosophy, human tradition, and including spiritual forces. And he's saying, don't give in to this captivity. You see, any vision of victory that avoids the person and work of Jesus is hollow and deceptive. That's why he keeps coming back to the see to it. In other words, you got to be vigilant. You got to be have your eyes wide open to see what's happening every day when you turn the news on, every day you open up your social media feed. Every day someone is offering you a vision for victory that actually leads to captivity. So the question that we are left with is what voice will we listen to? You see, we are really no different than the church at Colossae. We are confronted daily with the assaults upon the reality that victory is only found in Jesus. And any vision of victory that is void of the person and work of Jesus is hollow and deceptive. See to it. 
See to it that you don't give in to this. So he gives us a warning of captivity. And the rest of the verses. This is what I love about the scriptures. I love this part about the scriptures. This particular passage is because often what we are told in society is this, is Christianity is restrictive. Right? Why would you follow? It's restrictive. It's trying to keep you from your best life. It's trying to keep you from the life that you want. But listen to what he does. He spends the rest of this section showing us where victory comes from. There is a prohibition. He's saying there is a life that leads to captivity, but let me show you where life is found. Let me show you how good Jesus is, how amazing Jesus is, just how much Jesus has done for you. And what he does is he gives an invitation to victory. That's our second point. The rest of this section, verse 9 through 15, is an invitation. We, we have the baptism up here. And today, my son Hudson is getting baptized. Can we put our hands together for that? It's amazing. It's an invitation. Right? We set this up in hopes that whoever we've had conversations with would come and, and be invited to make their faith public. Right? And if you're here today and you say, hey, I've given my heart and my, my life to Jesus and I want to declare that publicly and I've not done that before, we would invite you. Say, I didn't bring anything. We got towels. You can walk, it, you're going to get wet on your way home anyway. Right? But see, this text is an invitation. Just like the waters of baptism are today. Let's look at it. Paul not only warns, but he invites us to a greater victory only found in Jesus. You see, Paul knows that there is only one way to victory. There's only one way to victory. There's not multiple ways to victory. See, the question is, do you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Paul knows how imperative this is for us to live the victorious life. Because victory isn't found in something else. So Paul actually does something here. It's very unique. It, it's very clever. It's very smart. He actually takes in verse 8 that warning and he weaves it in to show us the path to victory. He does this. Because he knows that we're going to be confronted with three errors. And there are three truths in this text that show us that victory is only found in Jesus. See, what Paul does in this text is he actually borrows. He borrows from Greek concepts of the day. And he inverts them on themselves. This is one of these passages that, like I said, we could spend a month right here in this section. Because there's so much going on that we don't have time to unpack today. And so we're just going to kind of try to fly high and see a vision for victory. He borrows the, the concept of victory found in Greek mythology and Greek belief systems. And it's this idea of escape. That I need to find a way to escape. And if I can do that, then I can experience victory. 
There are some of you here today that are experiencing this kind of life. You're trying to escape through alcohol. You're trying to escape through drugs. You're trying to escape through pornography. You're trying to escape through working more and trying harder. You're trying to escape by having more money in your bank account. Your life is marked by escape, and it's actually marked by captivity. And so what Paul does here is so beautiful. Look at what he says. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Verse 11, he says it again. In him, you also were circumcised, in which you were also raised with him, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see all these phrases, in him? What Paul is doing here is something that is known around the theological concept of union with Christ. He's saying that victory is found in Jesus being in us. That something special happened when Christ died on the cross for us and that our life is what the theologian says is hidden in him. That my life is intermingled with his life and his perfection overcame all of my imperfection. You see, this is huge because it corrects the false assumption that victory is found out there. And I just need to escape to find it. And what Paul is saying here is victory isn't found out there, it's found in him. And in being in him, he is in me. I have been unified with Christ. This is what Paul says when he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's saying the union with Christ has brought victory to the very core of who I am. And even though it seems elusive and all the time I'm disappointed with myself that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin and failure. He sees the perfect life of Jesus. This is beautiful. This is what he's already talked about in Colossians 1.27, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul is addressing the false voice of escape and he's pointing us to the victory of Jesus, found in union in him. So, he borrows from this Greek concept that victory is found in escaping, and he says, no, victory is found in union in Christ, in being in him. This is why it's so important. This is why when we, we put someone in the waters of baptism and they come back out, this is why as followers of Jesus, we would stand and we would cheer and we would clap. Why? Because we have had the victory of Christ applied to our life. That's why it's so important. Secondly, Paul says that victory is found in Jesus being in place of us. In place of us. So in this way, Paul is addressing the false voice of excess. Excess and pointing us to victory in Christ. He uses this curious phrase, made alive together with him. He talks about this concept of circumcision. He talks about the death of Jesus and our sin being nailed to the cross. This is the theological concept of substitution. 
This is Christ's life in my place for my sins. In other words, Christ substituted himself in our place to win the victory. He got pulled up from the bullpen and he closed it out. Christ's life in my place for my sins. Paul is saying our victory isn't found in doing religious deeds or in getting whatever we want, but in the new life that Jesus bought for us. He bought it. You see, Paul is saying that this doesn't happen by circumcision in a human way. That's what this whole text is about. There's something incredibly theologically happening here when he uses these words about circumcision. He is directly assaulting the Jewish aestheticism of the day that said, victory is found in doing more and trying harder. You see, this is an excess way of thinking. I have to do more for God to love me. Somehow, Jesus' sacrifice was not enough, so I now have to do something to earn God's favor. This is huge because some of you are going to be set free today and have a victorious life because you've been living a Christian life that says, God doesn't love me, and I've got to do more. I missed my prayer time on Tuesday, and so therefore God's upset with me. And God doesn't want to talk to me, and God wants nothing to do with me. Yes, you should like, feel sorry by the fact that you didn't take the time to talk to the God of the universe who laid down his life so that you could enter with boldness into his throne room, but he is not holding your sins against you if you've put your faith and trust in him. Because when God looks at you, he sees his perfect life. And his perfect life is what made us alive together with him. Paul is saying that this doesn't happen by circumcision in a human way, but in a supernatural way through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So Paul says that victory is found in Jesus being in us, and Jesus being in place of us. Lastly, Paul says that victory in Jesus is in Jesus working for us. You see, Paul is addressing the false voice of earning and pointing us to the victory in Christ. This would be the theological concept of propitiation. Nailing it to the cross. He took our punishment in our place. And by doing so, He has justified us. We have been unified with Christ in Him. He has substituted Himself in our place for our sins, so we no longer have to escape We have no longer need for excess in finding our hope and doing more and trying harder. But lastly, what he's doing here is he's pointing us to the fact that we can't earn it. It's not through escape or excess or earning. It's through what he says here. 
that God made us to be forgiven. That He has forgiven us of all of our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us. This is huge because many of us are trying to escape our debt. Many of us are trying to earn excess, to out-earn our debt. And many of us are trying to earn more to outweigh our debt. And Paul says, that's false victory. And Jesus nailed all of our sin to the cross. For some of you who grew up in church, you remember this old hymn, Man of Sorrows. It says, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was He, sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He was lifted up to die. It is finished, was His cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Say it with me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes... Our glorious King. Maybe we could add there, our victorious King. All His ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing. Say it with me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Here's the deal. Jesus paid for our victory so that we no longer have to give into the false voice of escape, excess, or earning. Victory isn't found in self-protection. Victory isn't found in self-soothing. And victory isn't found in self-aggrandizing. Making yourself look bigger. Victory is found in surrendering your life to Jesus. Where His life, His death... And His resurrection is given on your behalf. Victory is found in Christ. I'll never forget, every, every time I baptize, I think about one person in my 20 years of ministering, baptizing. And uh, he, he worked for me. His name was Jacob. And... Uh, he came out of the water so excited that he soaked everybody in the choir loft. And I love that picture that comes into my mind because it's a picture of victory. No, no trying to hold on to his, his uh, couth, no trying to hold on to his reputation. He was just excited. He was excited. You could probably all remember like, 
the TikTok video or the Instagram video that goes around the pastor trying to baptize and the guy comes out so excited and he knocks out the pastor. Right? He comes up out of the water. He's like, woo! And his fist hits him in the face. The pastor's like, oh! This is, this is how exciting this is. It's exciting that the victory has been won for us. And we need this because we're being told day after day that victory is found somewhere else. And Paul says, don't give in. Don't give in to that belief. Trust in Christ alone. Let's pray.